ever have a conversation with your girlfriend that was so good you wish it had been recorded? Think those conversations would be great to be able to share? Wondering if there's support or research for the recommendations your smart girlfriends give about mental, spiritual, and physical health? This podcast was born to answer those kinds of questions. Hello, I'm Sherry Coleman-Collins, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist, and here with me in the studio is my girlfriend, Dee Wilson. We're excited to have you joining us for this edition of the Southern Fried Girlfriends Podcast. Dee, how are you today? I'm doing great, Sherry. How are you? I am so good. I am thrilled that we're getting like a little taste of fall. There's a crisp in the air. Yeah. Okay, nobody wants me to sing. Let me stop. Let me stop. <laughs> I, I woke up this morning, and um, as I often do, if you live in my neighborhood, you might see me in my pajamas on the front porch. So I walked out with the dog in my pajamas. I was like, oh, it's a little chilly. I might have to go back in and put a sweater on. It yeah, was so it nice. It's great. It's yeah. great. Like, I tend to do fall cleaning more than uh-huh. spring cleaning. Me too. Because I love to just open the windows and yes. it'd be cool and get all the dusting done. I love it. Yes. And I don't have the same level of allergies in the fall as I do in the spring. Like in the mm. spring, I it's like so uncomfortable for me when the pollen starts and all this stuff. I love it because it's beautiful. And of course, the temperature is amazing. But I sneeze so much and I'm just uncomfortable. But in the fall, I don't feel that way. And see, I'm opposite. I oh, don't really? have spring allergies at all. When everybody else is complaining about the itchy eyes, I'm like, what? It's all good. Mm. In the in September, ragweed gets uh, me every time. Oh, no. So, so I've got a it? lot of Zizol in my system right now. <laughs> I don't know what Zizol is, but that sounds effective. It is very effective. <laughs> it just went over the counter, too. So oh, I was that's good. very excited about that. Is it like an, is it a nasal spray or is it an No, an it's oral? a pill. It's okay. a little small pill okay. and it works. Oh, that's good mm-hmm. to know. Well, by the time that this is aired, it will be solidly fall. Like right now we're recording and it's just a few days before fall. You know, I just learned, and I'm, maybe I'm like a slow learner, but I just learned that fall doesn't actually start in this year until September 23rd, but it goes all the way to December 20th. It's officially fall all the way to December 20th. Is that wacky or what? Is that different from years past? I don't know. I, I don't feel know. like fall didn't start until like October. Oh, really? But I could be making that up. Like, I don't know. I always think of fall starting in September, but then, like, I mean, to me, like, everything's weather-driven, right? So spring starts in, like, April in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. March maybe, but Mm -hmm. that's still considered winter. But really, in Atlanta, it starts in, like, March, and then um, fall starts for me in September. But this summer has felt like the hottest summer ever in the history of ever. It's been miserable. Yeah, and long, 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 long. But I'm inspired today, so I'm going to go to uh, the Home Depot, who does not sponsor this show, but we'd like for you to if you'd like to. Um, (laughs) I'm going to go to the Home Depot um, and pick up some plants, and I'm going to redo my garden. So I'm going to start the fall garden. The summer garden is done. It is like pitiful, dry, and I'm hoping that we get a little bit more rain that can help a fall garden. But are you? So what do you plant in the fall? So I plant um, typically greens, lots of greens. So I'll plant kale and collards, and um, probably kale, collards, Swiss chard. Those are the things I like to grow. They're real easy. They're very hardy, and um, the bugs don't like them as much as they like some of the other greens so you can do other lettuces um that Mm. lettuce is like and greens like cooler weather so spring and fall are great times for those and then you can also do carrots beets any of the root vegetables you can do and then you could if you wanted to but i don't plant pumpkins and you know winter squash Mm. Um, but i never grow those because they're kind of 
I don't know, they take a long time and they need a lot of space. And mm-hmm. so I've got two small raised beds. So I'll do herbs. Some of the um, hardier herbs like sage, I'll, if they've got them at the store, I'll plant those too. Okay. Yeah. Coming over to yeah. you. Do you plant cabbage in the Oh, yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Any of the um, brassicas or cruciferous type vegetables. So that would be cabbage, kale, broccoli. Um, you can grow those in the fall. I'm not sure what they're – they might have a 60-day growing season. Like oh, I'm wow. the farmer Sherry over here. Short? I know kind of that stuff. <laughs> I know. I don't know all that. Um, yes, that is – that's – that's uh, yeah, that's kind of short. That, well, yeah, I think that's kind of short. But I think you can do it. And as long as we don't get a, a freeze, then you can have – I mean, I've had kale that's lasted until January here oh, wow. when the weather's been kind of mild. It's so hardy. And if you cover it, it lasts forever. Okay, but this is not a gardening show. <laughs> We could do a show on gardening. Maybe we should. We would would enjoy it. And, you know, (laughs) hey, maybe our girlfriends would enjoy it, too. (laughs) But moving on to what we're actually going to talk about today, I think as much as I love gardening, I think this topic is something that I find even more interesting and um, certainly relevant and um, probably relevant to everybody in a bigger way than gardening, Um, although we all got to eat. But I think we all have to sleep. And oh my goodness, I can't tell you the number of people I know who regularly complain about sleep. And I am in that category. Like, I really struggle with sleep. Dee, how do you sleep? Um, I sleep a lot better. I read a book about uh, a couple years ago, maybe, um, that talked about, I can't remember the author's name and I can't remember the book title either, which is sad, Um, Mm -hmm. but um, talked about the importance of sleep and the things that you can do to ensure that you're getting better sleep. And that really changed the way that I did like my nighttime routine before Uh then I was like going to bed at like 11 getting up at about six Uh um and that's going to bed at 11 with an iPad and there's there was a lot more light in my room than I thought yeah um and reading that book and kind of making some changes to my bedroom definitely taking my bed time down from 11 to nine Uh um really just changed things for me yeah so I love that you go to bed so early. I'm so jealous because I'm not nearly so disciplined to do that. <laughs> I try really hard to go to bed at 1030. Like that's kind of my goal is 1030. And I probably should start a little earlier, but I go to sleep really fast. I don't typically toss and turn and have a hard time going to sleep. And I try not to look at my device right before bed, but I'm not always good about that. So so I'm excited to have a guest with us, Lori Walsh, who is a sleep expert a nurse practitioner, and um, she is going to help us walk through um, the issues of sleep and what we can do to make it better. So I'm going to read your very brief bio real quick, and then we're going to dive into this topic. So Lori's been married for 33 years, and she has two grown children, which is a whole other show, like 33 years of marriage. Praise the Lord for that. (laughs) And she's been a nurse for 30 years and a nurse practitioner for 10 and working in sleep medicine for the last five years. She's also a volunteer with her high school ministry or her church, and she enjoys gardening. So hey, that that was like totally applicable for you. (laughs) card making reading and crochet so welcome Lori thank you I'm so glad that you're here with us and we got connected through a mutual girlfriend Cheryl Orlansky so shout out to Cheryl thanks for the intro and um, we're delighted to have you with us how are you today great I'm honored that you asked me good well so tell us a little bit more about your background how did you get interested in sleep um 
Yes. A lot of people ask me that because it's, you know, uh, kind of an unusual specialty, but I, I worked in internal medicine for several years and then our practice hired a sleep medicine specialist and his nurse practitioner moved away. So they were looking for somebody to replace her. Mm -hmm. And at first I wasn't very interested, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, ah, I need to go check this out. So I went, spent a day with him in clinic. And at the end of the day, I was like, I love this. Oh, I have to good. do this. This is so fascinating. <laughs> That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love it when you just kind of find your thing and you cl like you click it with clicks. it. Yeah. So um, when you see when you see people in clinic, what do you normally see them? Why do they normally come to the clinic? Okay, I'm glad you asked yeah. that because there's a variety of reasons. Um, sometimes they come in because they snore loudly and yeah. it's driving their bed partner crazy. Um, it can be because they have trouble falling asleep, mm -hmm. staying asleep, trouble waking up in the morning. Um, they may have restless leg symptoms, which is this this need to move your legs to keep them comfortable. Um, some people have leg kicking at night that bothers their bed partner. Um, some people have what's called dream enactment, REM behavior disorder, where they'll actually act out their dreams. And sometimes they're of a violent nature. So oh, they wow. may hurt themselves, hurt their bed partner. Yeah, it can be really, really dangerous. So those are the things that usually make them present to our office. Okay. So typically it's more, it can range from very mild things. Like typically, I mean, we think snoring is pretty mild, right? To some very severe things. Okay. And so how, so this is like, a, <laughs> this is my ignorance. Like how, to me, snoring seems like a kind of a normal thing. Is it normal ever or is it always not normal? There's a lot of um, confusion yeah. about that. Um, there are some people who snore who do not have sleep apnea. Okay. And there's some people who snore who do have sleep apnea. And our job is to tease out, well, who are the people that we're concerned about and who who are we not worried about? Mm -hmm. um, and we do that by doing home sleep testing Okay. Um, that monitors um, heart rate, respirations, and oxygen levels. And what we look is for, we, we look for pauses in their breathing followed by mm -hmm. a drop in their oxygen level. And, um, that constitutes what's called an apnea. Okay. okay. So that it, you can have a full apnea where you stop breathing, or you may have what's called a hypopnea where the airway narrows a little bit and, and you're just not breathing as deeply. Okay. So, um, but there's a wide range and severity of sleep apnea. And another big misconception about sleep apnea is a lot of people think it's just something that happens to men who are overweight, but that is not the case. Um, I see a lot of women after they've gone through menopause who have sleep apnea, and it's huh. it's a clinically significant problem. I mean, it causes nighttime awakenings. They're non-restored in the morning. They're really drowsy and sleepy during the day. And, um, you know, with treatment, they're, they feel so much better. Oh, that's mm -hmm. good to hear. It's good. What about menopause causes sleep apnea? Well, there's a few things. Um, mostly it just has to do with the loss of, of hormones can impact our muscle tone. Mm. And so when we're asleep, our upper airway is floppier than normal mm -hmm. anyway. And then you add some loss of muscle tone on top of that and bam, you've got some airway collapse and, you know, increase in snoring and, and that kind of thing. Okay. 
So you mentioned a home sleep study, and I think that's something else that people often think, and I actually didn't know they did home sleep studies until a friend told me recently that he had had one. So I thought you always had to go to like a sleep clinic and spend the night there, and it's time consuming and inconvenient, and I think people have, you know, their own phobias about sleeping in a hospital or a clinic and feel like that's not going to ever be beneficial anyway because how could you possibly rest if you're sleeping in a strange place? And people are watching. Yes, Mm -hmm. but you can do it at home. So tell us more about that. Well, first of all, most insurance companies do not want to cover an in-lab study because there are thousands of dollars. A home home sleep test is probably a tenth of that price. Uh Uh-huh. and the other thing, like you pointed out, you, if you can do it at home, you're in your own environment, you're in your own bed, you've got yeah. your normal surroundings, and so most people are more comfortable uh-huh. with that. Now, Probably get a more accurate study that way too, right? You can. Okay. You can. Um, it varies because the thing about a home sleep study is we don't know when people are awake or when people are asleep, uh-huh. as opposed to when they're in the lab the way that we know that is because they have EEG leads hooked up to their head, and that's what tells us what oh. stage of sleep that they're in and whether awake. So you don't do sleep. that at home. We don't do that at home. Okay. Yeah. So there are fewer, um, fewer bits of information that okay. that we can monitor on a home sleep test. But still, I mean, for people who we have a very high suspicion for sleep apnea, it's frequently a great test. Yeah. I mean, if if they snore loudly, or they're gasping at night, they're exhausted during the day, they're sleeping terrible. You know, when they've got a big neck, uh-huh. um, then we have a high suspicion for sleep apnea. And, you know, we, often doing a home sleep test is adequate. And I was going to tell for anybody who's curious about do I have sleep apnea, there's an online test you can do called the Stop Bang, S T O P. B-A-N-G, and it's just an eight-question quiz that will give you some indication about whether you're at risk for oh, sleep apnea. We'll, put that, we'll mm-hmm. put that link in the show notes, but I th- that's so good to know because I have someone in my life who shall remain unnamed who I suspect might have a sleep apnea, and this person is very resistant to even talking about it. Mm-hmm. And so... Nobody Perhaps. wants it. I know. I don't want it. I don't want it for <laughs> this person. But um, I also am con- because I'm concerned because it has health implications. Absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit more about the health implications of sure. untreated sleep apnea? Absolutely. Um, there's plenty of evidence to show that untreated sleep apnea increases cardiovascular risk. So I'm talking stroke, heart attack, um, abnormal heart rhythms like atrial fib. Um, frequently connected, and people are frequently just, they're exhausted during the day. They're really, really drowsy. I mean, I've had patients who are so drowsy during the day that they say, you mean it's not normal to take a nap at a stop sign? (laughs) No, no, that's scary. So, anyway, frightening. Yes, it is. It's terrifying. But, you know, to to what you were saying about, um, about people not wanting to have the diagnosis, I actually have people who come in who are so excited to know that this is the problem. Oh, Oh, my goodness. No wonder I've slept terribly for so long. I'm so exhausted during the day. And for those people, I mean, those are the easiest ones to treat because they want to get on treatment. They'll work really hard at acclimating to treatment. And and for people who have a very profound response to treatment – Oh, they are so motivated to use a CPAP or, you know, a, a, there's a several different treatments for sleep apnea. But um, it's it, that's one of the most rewarding 
things that I do is when I treat somebody for really severe sleep apnea who is very symptomatic and they come back and they say, oh, this was life changing. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, when you're talking about that, I think about as a dietitian when I cure somebody's diarrhea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like life changing. Yes. You know, people who have chronic digestive issues who um, have it sort of ongoing for years and then all of a sudden they feel better. They don't have symptoms anymore. It's life changing. And I think sleep is the same mm-hmm. kind of, has the same kind of effect. So great to know the significant risk factors. And you talked about some of the treatments. So CPAP is one. Can mm-hmm. you explain that for anybody? Sure doesn't know what that is? CPAP stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure, and it's basically a little device that sits next to your bed. It uses pressurized, moisturized air that flows through a tube into a mask that you wear around your head. People always flip out when we talk about masks. They're actually, they've gotten a lot better. They used to look like these fighter pilot helmets. And now they actually That's have, what I picture. When right, I right. They actually have some that are fairly small now that just go around the nose or just kind of go up against the nose. And, um, you know, certainly there's one of the critical things about getting CPAP to work for somebody is finding a mask that's most comfortable for them. Mm-hmm. But it's a weird treatment mm-hmm. to get used to. I mean, some people acclimate to it very quickly. Some people, it takes months. Yeah. You know, sometimes it'll take somebody a year to really get used to it. So we have a desensitization protocol that we that we put them through if they're struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's the most effective treatment for sleep apnea. And that is the gold standard for treatment. Okay. And what other kinds of treatments exist? Um. The next most common treatment that we use is something called a mandibular advancement device, and it's a fancy retainer, basically. (laughs) It's made by a sleep medicine dentist. And I've heard those ads on the radio. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And basically how it works is it moves your bottom jaw forward by a few millimeters to kind of put you in a little bit of an underbite. And by moving that bottom jaw forward, it pulls the tongue forward. And then when the person is sleeping, it just helps prop the airway open. It's not as effective as um, CPAP, but for people with more mild to moderate sleep apnea who don't have very, very low drops in their oxygen during the night, it, it can be a great option. Uh Um, It can cause a little jaw pain, a little movement of the teeth, which can be a problem. Um, But, you know, if people can't tolerate CPAP, using the oral device is better than nothing. Yeah. Yeah. In the commercials, is it billed as a like sleep apnea device Uh or is it for snoring? Um, It's it's billed for sleep apnea. It's considered a medical device. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, so those are both devices. Is there anything else that treats sleep apnea or those Weight loss can help. Okay. Um, For people always ask me, well, if I lose X amount of weight, will my sleep apnea go away? And I'll I'll say, well, I don't know until you lose that amount of weight and we Mm -hmm. reevaluate. I mean, getting your weight down to a, you know, healthy level is always a good idea. And that's what I tell people. But, um, you know, for some people, it makes a big difference. For some people, it doesn't. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very good. So we've talked a lot about sleep apnea, which is kind of like one of the worst scenarios for sleep issues, but most people probably don't have sleep apnea, but lots of people struggle with sleep. So how do you know if you have like a clinical problem with sleep Mm -hmm. or maybe you just have bad habits around Mm -hmm. sleep? What would you suggest? How would you suggest somebody self-assess? The main thing that I ask somebody who says that they don't sleep well is, well, how do you function during the day? Mm -hmm. Because if people function well during the day, then whatever's happening at night means that they're probably getting adequate sleep. 
Now, if somebody has distress about what's happening at night, that's a problem and that sure. needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Does a lack of sleep cause issues with like emotion, emotional and mental health? It certainly can. Um, there are certainly a lot of people who have anxiety and depression yeah. also have trouble with their sleep. Uh-huh. Not everybody who has insomnia has anxiety or depression, but it definitely, it goes the other way. Um, and, uh, I think for most people, if they're not sleeping well, especially if it's causing them a lot of distress, they're exhausted during the day, they can't, um, focus at work. Um, they feel like their performance isn't as good as it Mm -hmm. should be. It's, it's very distressing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that we end up seeing, Okay. you know, the ones that are really, it's affecting the quality of their life. Yeah. Not having enough sleep definitely affects my attitude. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. I don't know if that's considered mental health, but like Mm -hmm. my attitude is bad when I'm sleepy. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody agrees they can be a little cranky after about night's sleep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of maybe where my mind was too. Is like, I know that for me, especially after, like after one night of poor sleep, I can be cranky. But after several nights Mm. of poor sleep, Mm -hmm. I'm like, you don't really want to be around me (laughs) because I am, you know, you talked about how positive and upbeat I am on the show and I am. But (laughs) if you catch me on a day when I haven't had enough sleep for several days in a row, I mean, I am like, not, I'm not Steer clear. Chipper. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not chipper. I'm not the girl you want to hang out with and have a beer with. I'm like the girl that you want to avoid. <laughs> You're like, ah, oh, no, not yeah. today. Yeah, exactly. I, I need a shirt that says that, like, not today. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Just as a warning. I didn't sleep well. Uh, Don't talk to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, very good. And so there, so there are, it's interesting also that you mentioned, um, weight loss as a potential help for sleep mm-hmm, apnea. Mm-hmm. Because um, we know that weight gain sort of is impacted by sleep, right? So there is some research that shows that sleep can affect your appetite, right? Mm -hmm. So lack of sleep can affect your appetite Mm -hmm. and cause us to be more hungry. Right, because those... That endocrine system, that, that, you know, chemical that tells your brain, you're full now, can get... Yes, affected. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the thing I also see with people who aren't sleeping well, and if they're tired during the day, they nibble and they munch because they're, they're looking for energy. They're Uh just grasping at anything. Oh, it's four o'clock. I'm so tired. I'm going to go get a bag of chips and a Coke out of the vending machine. And that, you know, that that hit of sugar. Absolutely. Uh Yes. Yes. uh And the other thing that I always tell people, if I, if I, if I, if I hear from them that they're not sleeping well, Um, is to think about nighttime eating. Because if you're awake, like, okay, so let's say you have dinner around sometime between 6 and 8, you're Mm -hmm. having dinner. But if you're not going to sleep until 11 or 12 o'clock, you're the, the the number of hours that you're still conscious and awake is going to lead you to being more hungry. So you're going to want to eat again before bed because you're still awake. But if you go to sleep, you're sleeping. And you're not going to be as apt to wake up and eat. Does that make sense? Would you say that's true? Well, I, I mean, I, I think uh, it's hard to say across the board yeah. because actually when we're in, when we're sleeping, our body goes into a normal fasting yeah. mode. Yeah. Okay. So there really is, you know, a period of eight or nine hours for most people where they really shouldn't be hungry. Right. Now, um, you know, for people who really, you know, for whatever reason, are, you know, compulsive eaters or habitual eaters or binge eaters or whatever. And they, you know, they're eating because they're bored or they're Mm -hmm. upset or whatever. 
then to me, that's, you know, that's a little bit of a different yeah. situation. Yeah, I would agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. I, I think that there are all kinds of, there's always all kinds of exceptions to the rule. Absolutely. But in general, in somebody who doesn't have like a like an eating disorder mm-hmm. or some sort of, even some sort of blood sugar disorder mm-hmm. that might wake them up um, to need to eat something, in general, I think if you're still awake, you're going to become hungry again. Um, and that makes sense. I've definitely woken up at two o'clock in the morning and been like, I need a sandwich. <laughs> But it's generally because, like, I wasn't hungry at dinner and mm-hmm. I went ahead and went to bed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. my body's like, girl, wake up. Yeah. We're hungry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My son's done that. You know, my son's done that in the middle of the night where he'll wake up and he's like, I need some food. And I, that's only happened a couple of times. And I fed him because I'm like, you know, if he's waking up in the middle of the night and he's a little kid, mm-hmm. there's he's really hungry. Mm-hmm. He's not, you know. Now, sometimes it's because he didn't eat his dinner. If he doesn't eat his dinner, then it's like, okay, well. But last night was an exception. It's so funny because last night um, he didn't eat his dinner. And then about an hour and a half later, we got home. And he was like, I'm so hungry. I can't go to sleep without a bedtime snack. And I said, okay, well, do you want some cheese and some crackers or some peanut butter with an apple? And he goes, no, I want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a yogurt tube. I'm like, oh, you want a meal? (laughs) (laughs) He was hungry. (laughs) He was, and I gave it to him. So he ate it all. And hopefully he slept well. And he slept well. He slept all night and then some, which was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So, but eating can impact our sleep too. So eating too close to bedtime is one of the things that can impact our sleep Mm -hmm. um, because if our stomachs are all busy digesting food, we may not be able to rest as well, especially if you have um, gastric reflux, right? Oh, absolutely. So if you've Mm -hmm. got issues with um, some weakness in the sphincters in your esophagus Mm -hmm. that are supposed to hold the food down in your stomach, but those are weak and you lay down too close after eating or after eating a big meal, Mm -hmm. even if it's been an hour if you mm-hmm. ate a really big meal we've all experienced this at thanksgiving right mm-hmm. <laughs> if you lay You're down still full the next morning exactly <laughs> if you lay down too close to eating that meal it's going to burn and it's going to keep you awake and there's actually some association between reflux and sleep apnea oh interesting okay because when you're having apneas you know you stop breathing you have all this pressure build up in oh, your abdominal yeah. cavity it's pushing up against that lower um, sphincter of your esophagus and you can get some some reflux. How about that? Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. about that? So sometimes when we treat people sleep apnea, their reflux will get better. Oh, that's mm-hmm. good to know. But I think people are different. You know, some people yeah. really need to eat before they go to bed and yeah. other people it's, it's more distraught. I mean, it's very, very individual. Absolutely. And I think also it's about uh, quantity of food, right? So it's not mm. eating a whole meal before. I, I would never argue that some people need to have a nighttime snack. That's totally fine. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, a handful of nuts, you know, some crackers with cheese, something simple like that. Mm-hmm. And that's why that's what I offered to my son, because I think those are good um, protein and fat rich foods that can sort of provide some satiety and some slow burned calories overnight can be really helpful, but not eating an entire meal and then going to bed. Although that's what he did. (laughs) So every kid's unique. Everybody's unique. What are some other, so we talked a little bit about eating before bed. What are some other things that people can do? Maybe they don't think they have sleep apnea. They don't have any major issues, but they are tired and maybe they're concerned about the quality of their sleep. And do you talked about some of the things you did differently? What are some things, Lori, that we can keep in mind that might help our 
sleep hygiene. I've mm-hmm. heard that that term. Can you talk about sleep hygiene and what that is? So, yes. I mean, there's a whole list of things that you can do. Um, one of the things I really encourage my patients to do is have some wind down time before they go to bed because we're in this fast... Is that wine as in a wine? No, I thought she said wine too. I was like, wine. Okay. Although that can affect your sleep too from what I understand. Wind, W-I-N-D. Because, you know, we're running full kilter all day. You know, we're in that fight or flight mode all yeah. day and then we go skidding into the bedroom yes. get in the bed and you know close our eyes <laughs> trying to go back to, right sleep. to sleep exactly <laughs> you know a lot of people you know they just they need time to sit and breathe and yeah. reflect on their day transition and, yes and maybe do something enjoyable and maybe be without their kids for a few minutes um so that's Four hours Yes. So, I mean, that's one thing that I think is really important. Um, There's a lot of discussion about being off your screens before you go to bed. And, you know, for people who are good sleepers, if they want to be on their phone before they go to bed, I'm, well, I'm probably not going to be seeing them for one thing, but (laughs) for my, for my poor sleepers, I really encourage them to be off electronic devices for at least a couple hours before they go to bed. So television's fine, but no iPad, phone, computer, which, you know, it's, it's hard because, you know, that's, that's how people are connected. And mm-hmm. a lot of people read on their electronic devices. Uh-huh. I tell them, you know, go to Goodwill and get you a stack of books or yeah. go to the library. Yeah. Um, because it's really that the light from these screens is sending our brain the message that it's, that it's daytime. It's not time uh-huh. to go to bed. So it, it can be a problem. Uh-huh. And I've had a lot of people just getting off their devices. It, it makes a big difference. Does the blue light filter help? Not significantly. Okay. Now, I mean, if people are insistent, you know, I can tell them to try it. But I always tell people, you know, give it a week or two without it at all and, and then see how you do. If it makes a big difference and then you want to try the blue filter, you could certainly do that. Um, but, you know, we don't have a lot of studies on that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, no devices is one thing mm-hmm. or limit devices. Mm-hmm. What else? Alcohol can uh, be tricky because, you know, a lot of people actually, they drink to wind down or they Mm -hmm. drink to get themselves sleepy with the thought that, well, I'll sleep better. Well, it might help you fall asleep more quickly, but it, um, it will frequently cause more sleep disruption later in the day. Um, so, and you know, another thing I think people do a lot when they get in the, in the bed is they worry. Uh-huh. You know, they get in bed. It's the first time they've been quiet all day. They're alone with their thoughts. And that brain just starts whirling away, you know, thinking about, oh, I got to do this tomorrow and that. Um, one practice that you can do is what's called worry time, which sounds a little silly, but <laughs> it's actually been shown to be effective. And just a couple hours before you go to bed, grab a notebook and a pen and just go do a brain dump. Mm-hmm. Write down, you know, all these, you know, possible concerns that you may have during the day. You may want to write down potential solutions to those issues. Um, and that way, when you get in bed, you've kind of had your designated time mm-hmm. to worry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your mind's already kind of worked it over. So yes. now you can just relax. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so another thing that's really important it, with people who don't sleep well is, um, they need to avoid sleeping during the day. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's it's tricky for people who don't sleep well because they actually end up wanting to spend more time in bed mm-hmm. and that can make their problem worse. Huh. Because we want our brain to have a conditioned response to be asleep when we're in bed. Uh-huh. And we, you know, we don't have a lot of rules with sleep, but one of the rules is 
keep your bed for sleep and sex only. Uh-huh. Don't, you know, we, I encourage That's people. That's my rule. Yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> like no working in I don't bed. work in bed. You know, I don't even really like people watching TV in no. bed. If they want to watch TV, sit in a chair. Um, reading for a few minutes before you go to bed is fine. But, um, you know, some people carry on a lot of their life from their bed, you know, if they work from home or whatever. And then, you know, it's just confusing for the brain because, you know, our brains get conditioned very easily. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we want to really protect that space Mm -hmm. and only have people sleep there. Mm -hmm. What about um, showers and baths? Can they be helpful for relaxing? I think for some people they can. Um, Again, it can be part of that wind down Uh period. If Uh somebody really enjoys taking a bath, then absolutely. I I think it's good for people to kind of have a list of things that helps them wind down. Uh Mm -hmm. That's a great Do a puzzle, write a letter, um, you know, journal, Mm -hmm. go for a walk, um, do some stretching exercises, practice some yoga. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can do, but you have to figure out what works for you. Right. Treating sleep problems is not cookie cutter. Uh It's very nuanced. And, um, you know, most people have had habits that they've, you know, they've, they've had them for years and it's, they've had beliefs about what they should and should not do. Um, you know, another thing I see very, very commonly is people, try to go to bed when they think they should go to bed. Uh And that doesn't always work. They go to bed when their husband's going to bed or when they always go to bed. A really important concept for people to understand is you shouldn't go to bed until you're sleepy. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with our circadian rhythm, Mm -hmm. the timing of when our natural sleep window occurs, which varies from person to person. You know, Mm -hmm. we're in the society where... You know, everybody kind of has this idea that we should all go to bed at 10 and get up at 6 in the morning or go to bed at 11 and get up at 7. And that's just, that's not how it works. Yeah. I mean, I have people who, you know, they'll get in bed at 10 because that's when their husband's going to bed, but they'll lay there till 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning and then they they can't get up. Well, that is, has to do with their, their biological timing of sleep. Now, if I tell that same person, hey, don't go to bed until 1. And then let yourself sleep in until you wake up naturally. Well, that's, you know, that's mind-blowing to uh-huh. them. But but they feel so much better uh-huh. because then they're sleeping in closer alignment with what their body naturally wants to mm-hmm. do. And when, you know, when that occurs for people who naturally are night owls, mm-hmm. um, who want to go to bed later and sleep in later, um, they, there's often a lot of shame with uh-huh. that. They feel lazy. They've, you know, and then this is, you know, this is in their genes. This is in, you know, most cells in their body that run on the circadian clock. And so frequently as children, this was an issue. They couldn't go to bed. They couldn't get up in the morning. There was a lot of, you know, yelling, get out of bed. You got to go to school, that That kind of thing. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, for those people to tell them to go to bed earlier, it, it's it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And early birds don't get it. I'm an early bird. Mm, I am. You know. So <laughs> so you know. I was always the first one to sleep at a slumber party or whatever. <laughs> Me um, too. I got but- shaving cream. <laughs> If you don't know what that is, Google. Well, no. maybe don't Google it. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> so I mean, it, that's another really, probably don't Google. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> But that's that's a really, really important concept. So that, to, I think mm-hmm. that's a great – I like to hear that. And at the same time, it seems terribly impractical for many people. Mm, like if you're mm-hmm. a professional or you have children or yes. you're a child in school, yes. I mean, my son would prefer to be able to stay up until 10 o'clock and sleep mm-hmm. until 9. Mm-hmm. 
actually he probably wouldn't, but he, but, but he would like to stay up late and he wouldn't Mm -hmm. like, he would like to sleep in later than he has to, but he has to be at school. Right. So he has to adjust. And so, and my husband too, my husband's a night owl. He Mm -hmm. would prefer to stay up really late and sleep in, but Life doesn't allow that. So it, it's, what do it you can say be to very, somebody like very that who doesn't have that kind of flexibility? Can you retrain your sure. circadian rhythm? There is a um, process that we put people through to help shift their natural rhythm. It's um, it's a little bit complicated, but it's not impossible. And I've okay. had a lot of people that we've been able to shift them a few hours earlier. And I explained to people it's that it's kind of like your body's on California time, uh-huh. but we need to get you back to Georgia time. And we do That's that a great by, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, there's a little bit to, it takes a little bit of, um, instruction and coaching and that kind of thing to, to get people back on track. But one thing that is that I tell people with, with a delayed circadian rhythm or a night owl is try to keep your wake time fairly fixed. Uh-huh. And what my night owls do is, you know, they may drag themselves out of bed at six or seven o'clock during the week, uh-huh. but then on the weekend, they'll let themselves sleep, sleep, sleep until 10 or, right, <laughs> right, exactly. And we'll, and the, and then the brain's like, okay, well, I'm in Georgia during the week, then I'm going to California on the weekend, and I'm going to Georgia during the, and so it's all this back and forth, uh-huh. and it's very, very confusing to uh-huh. our system, so. Constant jet lag. Exactly. Yeah. That's exact. it's chronic jet lag, and people can be absolutely miserable. Uh-huh. And so, um, you know, I tell people if your if your weekday wake up time is at seven, then on the weekend try not to sleep any later than eight in the morning. Um, and if they're really really exhausted, I'll tell them you can take like a thirty or forty five minute nap. You know, early in the afternoon, I wouldn't sleep more than that because that's going to pull too much away from your drive to sleep that uh-huh. night. Um, but yes, that that can be very, very tricky. But for some people, it's a simple solution, especially people who are retired or, you know, or who don't have children yeah. or can work from home. We have a lot of people who, um, you know, I communicate with their employer and we're able to do a later start time to work. Mm-hmm. And some employers are totally okay with that. So I heard, I've heard before, and this might be wrong, but I've heard that it takes three days to get your sleep, like after you, because I travel a good bit and Mm. oftentimes to the West Coast. Mm -hmm. So what I've heard is it takes three days to get yourself back on track or to change your sleep kind of wake. Is that true or is that a... It probably varies from person to person. It seems like it's more difficult as we get older, Uh Um, but what I've heard is it's more like a day for each hour okay. that you've changed. Okay. So if Which it's California, about yeah. right, about okay. three hours. But if it's Europe, then uh-huh. you know it's going to be, it's going to be longer. I'll adjust to Europe. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> and 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 something really important that I have people do when they're moving between time time zones is is to get some sunlight. Uh, that's because, what I, that was my next question. Yes, was going to be about that. Yes, okay. because the more than any other factor. Sunlight influences the timing of our circadian rhythm. There are other things, you know, like when we eat, when we exercise, and that kind of thing. But by far and away, the the strongest signal for our circadian rhythm is is sunlight. So uh-huh. that's you know that's really important. And getting Especially it as early as as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially morning sunlight. Mm-hmm. If, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, if you get morning sunlight, um, it helps. Um, it helps anchor down your natural circadian rhythm. If you get too much sun at night, it will actually push your timing later 
like being on a device. Mm. You know, it can make you stay up even later. Uh-huh. So, yeah, but definitely if you're shifting time zones, morning morning light can be really helpful. And then how does exercise affect your circadian rhythm? Or sleep. Or sleep. Well, um, I think exercise is different for different people. I have, I have some people who say, gosh, if I exercise right before I go to bed, I sleep much better. Other people, it's just, it's too stimulating. Now I will say this, um, in our society where we're sitting a lot and then we're driving two or three hours in the car a day, we're just, we're so sedentary and a really important concept to understand about sleep is that we have a sleep drive and it basically works like a balloon. Okay. So when we wake up in the morning, we've slept all night, our balloon's empty. Okay. But the longer we're awake, the more activity that we do during the day, we're blowing air into this balloon till it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and fuller. We want this balloon really, really big and full before we go to bed to push us through our night sleeping. Okay. So what some people do is they nap during the day. Well, that lets a lot of air out of the balloon. Or they're sitting a lot. They're not, you know, they're not moving around. And mm-hmm. so they're not putting as much air in the balloon. So exercise, to me, helps put air in the balloon. Okay, Regardless of when it happens. Yes, yes, okay. absolutely. And I'll have people say, oh, I was sleeping terrible all week. And then I went to the lake and I swam and I was outside and I was exerting myself and I slept great. Uh-huh. So the, that balloon idea is really important for people to understand. And it's hard too, because when you don't sleep well, oh, you just don't want to do anything. Yeah, yeah. And especially with it being so hot the last uh-huh. few weeks, my patients are like, well, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to go out and walk right now. I'm like, well, <laughs> go to the mall, go to Walmart, go to Target, just, you know, walk around. Go to the gym. Exactly. Yes. Yes, yeah. definitely. Or go to the living room and do some right, jump jacks. Right. Yeah. 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 Require. Sure. yeah. So yeah. movement is, is really, really important. And that also helps people you know, a lot of people, again, they come home from work, they're exhausted, they don't want to do anything, they sit down on the couch, and what do they do? They turn the TV on, yeah. and then they're kind of dozing off and on for an hour or two, and then they get into bed, <laughs> and they can't go to Me. sleep. Why? Because they've let too much air out of the balloon. Oh, yeah. So for people who tend to doze off in the evening, I tell them, sit in a hard chair, sit on the floor, crisscross applesauce, um, you, you know, you, or stand up. You know, hula hoop, do whatever, but do not get on that couch if you know that you're going to doze off there. And again, if you're a good sleeper, like my husband, yeah. he'll doze off on the couch and then he'll get in bed and yeah. sleep, no problem. That's me. Um, yeah. I, I'll, I'll doze in front of the TV, but then I go right to sleep. Yeah. 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 No, I, I I have to be really <laughs> careful with that. So we, um, what about the, okay, this is like a practical question because I'm very practical sometimes. The, what, what about bed and pillows? Are there any tips for the bed, pillows, or linens that can help people sleep? I wish there was a cutter <laughs> answer for that. I think the answer is make sure it's comfortable for you. Yeah. We, I don't have any particular bed or uh-huh. pillow that okay. I recommend for people. But, yeah, clearly if they've got an old lumpy mattress, uh-huh. um, I mean, their environment is really important. Yeah. If it's not comfy, if their pillow's lumpy, their bed's got a big, you know, hump in it or whatever, then yeah, or that's dip. definitely going to, yes, yes. Yeah. Then that may impact their sleep. If they have chronic pain, uh-huh. that can certainly cause disruption in their sleep. Um, and I think, you know, as far as sheets go, my personal preference is to be in something cotton because yeah. I'm of the menopausal age and I <laughs> We're am women not, of a certain age yes, on the show. Yes, and so I do not want to get all sweaty at night. So no. I like to use cotton sheets and 
that's just my own preference. There's no, you know, no, no research to back it. <laughs> we just got a new bed um, and it's a sleep number bed. Oh, how do you like it? I love it. Um, we actually, my husband and I, when we married, we both had a sleep number bed. Uh, when we got married. Ask and, them to sponsor you. Oh, I know, right? They, yes, you should sponsor this show. And this, you should sponsor so my girlfriends life. at gmail.com. Contact us. <laughs> Listen, I, I, um, yeah, I got, I, we got a sleep number bed and, um, we got the IQ or yeah, mm. sleep number IQ and only because it was on super duper sale, like mm. 50% off. It was awesome. Um, but we love it and it's been, but we're still transitioning. You know, when you get a new bed, I think it takes a while to adjust to it. And with the sleep number bed, you can adjust your sleep up and down Mm. or your, your, the firmness of the bed up and down. And it tracks how well you sleep or how much you're moving and stuff Mm -hmm. during the night. Mm -hmm. It also tracks your heart rate and your respiration. Interesting. I know. I was like, wow, I don't know how it's doing it, but Hmm. it is doing it. It says it's doing it. You have like an app. Yes. You have an app on your phone and that's how you adjust the firmness of the bed too. So, um, it has been very interesting, uh, because, because we have different sleep needs, my husband and I, and, um, so trying to get the two of us in a place where we're both sleeping well is it's, it's been a, you know, a challenge our entire marriage, you know, we still like each other and we still like to sleep together. (laughs) So we're, so this is our solution is, you know, and it seems to work pretty well. Um, but I wondered because we got this new bed, but I also got new pillows. Um, Mm. and the pillows that I got are supposed to be, good for someone who sleeps on their side or someone who sleeps on their back. Do you have a, any recommendations for sleeping on your side or sleeping on your back? Is it just what works for the individual? It's however you're comfortable. Okay. If you have sleep apnea, sleeping on your back, your apnea is going to tend to be worse. Uh-huh. Um, some people have musculoskeletal pain, shoulder or hip pain, where they're uh-huh. more comfortable sleeping on their back. But uh-huh. there's no, like, this is the best way to sleep. It's, okay. it's whatever is comfortable for you. Okay, got you. What about the temperature of the room? Well, personally, <laughs> I get a little cranky if it's hot. <laughs> See, I have to walk over to my note. nest and turn it down a couple of degrees, um, which, I, I mean, I think generally women like it cooler and men like it warmer, and there's this kind of butting of heads in many households about that. But, I, I mean, I think most people are just more comfortable if it's cool. Uh-huh. I've always heard that you sleep better in a cool room. I do. Yeah? I do. Yeah. Air goes down to 68, regardless Ooh, of if it's yeah. winter or what. Yeah. Sometimes in the winter, I'll just open the window, too. I've I've typically, uh, until now, until like recently, the last year or so, I've always liked it nice and warm. And, and I've always wanted a big, nice blanket on me. And this year, like, not, no thanks. <sighs> <laughs> None of that. No, thank you. Like, I'm, I'm all about, like, let's get rid of it. But um, what about weighted blankets? I'm asking you like all the questions. No, these are all (laughs) really, really great questions. And I wish I had research behind them. Anecdotally, I've had patients say that they liked a weighted blanket. You know, it kind of works to calm your nervous system. Um, But I don't have a lot of experience with them. Okay. I don't personally have one, but I wouldn't mind. Yeah. I have a weighted blanket. And whenever I travel like, and I'm not flying, uh-huh. I take it with me okay. because it's really hard for me to sleep in hotel beds. Uh-huh. Um, but if I have my weighted blanket, I'm fine. Like huh. I don't, if I don't have it, I'm tossing and turning all night long. But uh-huh. if I have it, we it's got like a study of one. <laughs> it equals one. I love it. These always are N equals one. <laughs> now at home, it's, it's too hot. Uh Mm, That was my concern is Mm -hmm. like, would it make me too hot if I had that? It's hot. And, you know, I already have the air on 68. When I'm in a hotel room, I can put the air on 62 and be comfortable under the weight of... 62. It's freezing in the room. You could hang meat, like (laughs) cold. But there's no way my husband would like 
revolt if yeah. I put it on 62 at home. So. <laughs> Um, so that's a great, so that's a great lead into the next question, which is about travel. What about people who travel? So I travel for work a good bit. D travels for work some, so, and travels for fun. So what about people who travel frequently? How can they, how can they help improve their sleep when they're on the road? Because for me, like I usually have a really hard time sleeping. Um, usually the first night I'm really tired from travel. And so I sleep really well, but then the second and subsequent nights I usually sleep poorly. Mm -hmm. So, um, I have some tricks of my own. I'm not going to say what those are yet, but you tell me what advice you have for people who travel to improve their sleep. Uh, again, nuance depends person to person, but, um, personally when I travel, I just don't like how quiet it is. And then I mm. hear doors slamming and people mm, talking and yeah. so mm. walking over. Your yeah. yeah. So running some white noise. I, I turn the fan on in the bathroom. Um, there's a, there's a couple apps where you can, um, play, you know, ocean waves or crickets or things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think having some background noise is good. Um, I think the temperature is always tricky in a hotel because the first night it's like either too hot or too cold or, um, so, but I mean, I think still it's important when you're traveling, especially if you're like going to a lot of meetings and that kind of thing to build some activity into your travel, uh -huh. you know, cause if we're too sedentary, if we're driving long hours, sitting on a plane for a long time, sitting in airports for a long time, then we're not filling up that balloon again. Yeah. And so you definitely want to make sure that you're as active as possible when yeah. you're traveling. Yeah. That's a lot of this. That's a lot of what I do. So uh, the couple of things that I have figured out over the years that work really well for me, I have a white noise app mm -hmm. on my phone. So we sleep with a white noise machine at home. So when I'm traveling, I have my app and I always run my app because it, I mean, you are so right about the doors and the noise and the, people are, um, people are wonderful. But when they travel, it seems to bring out the worst in people <laughs> in general. It's like it's a space that I don't own. Yeah. Let me just like go wild. Yeah, there. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The night owls. Yes. The night owls. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. And a lot of times when I travel, I'm traveling for conferences and conventions. And so, you know, those, those people that are then in vacation. Oh, thoughts, yes. So. Yes. And their brains are on vacation. And so they're just thinking like everybody's on vacation. But listen, people, I'm working. So, <laughs> so that's the one thing I found is definitely the white noise machine or the app and then um and then uh light so I don't always have control over how much light comes into the room but I always uh, travel with a sleep mask so I use my sleep mask if I need to I, I have like three and I have them in different places so that I never forget it because I always need it and then the other thing that um that I have found that's really important definitely the physical activity but also watching how much alcohol and food that I'm eating so spicy fatty foods that are out of my normal um kind of, you know, diet, I try to limit, not that I don't eat them, because I do, especially if I'm somewhere where the food is amazing, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna <laughs> skip that opportunity. But I try to just limit the quantity. So that I, that way, I'm not uncomfortable when I'm sleeping. And then the alcohol, same thing, you know, I'm sort of a two glass limit person anyway. But when I travel, I'm even more conscious about that, because especially if I'm speaking, because a lot of the, the travel I do is to speak. And then if I'm tired the next day, or my brain isn't working well, or I didn't sleep well, man, it makes being on the podium, much much harder so I can't make my lips work yes exactly and then I guess the last thing I would say is water is like drinking plenty of water during the day so that I'm hydrated from travel mm -hmm. would you agree that that Absolutely. helps too yes I, I mean I think most people get dehydrated when they're traveling because yeah. they you know they don't know when the next bathroom is going to be right so. right mm -hmm. and I think a lot of times people limit the amount of water they drink too because they don't want to be awake at night but to me, that can have an opposite problem. 
Well, I mean, you know, you definitely want to be hydrating all day and just be mindful of that. I mean, I feel like especially with air travel, I just get so dried out. And Mm -hmm. so I'm kind of an obsessive water bottle carrier. (laughs) I always have one with me. And, you know, when I go through security, I empty it out. And then when I get on the other side, I fill it back up. Um, So, yeah, I I totally agree with you. I think that's a good point. Can dehydration affect your sleep, sleep quality? Not that I know of okay. directly. Maybe just the discomfort of it, you mm. know, having a dry mouth and that kind of thing. But I don't, I don't know any direct connection. What if you're and waking up also, to drink water? Sorry, Dee. No, I was about to say, I've also heard that uh, drinking three liters of water a day helps you sleep. Hmm. This may just be bro science that I read on the internet. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, if you read it on the internet, then it's got to be true, right? <laughs> I've not heard that. Okay. Yeah, I think definitely being hydrated can affect everything in our bodies, um, but there's probably a level of overhydration too because sure. you don't want to have to wake up once or twice during the night to go to the bathroom. Well, and most people actually do wake up once or twice oh, during the do? night. I'm so oh, glad, but that not you... to get out and go to the ba- to go to the bathroom. To go to the bathroom. Oh, really? Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. Huh. And I'm so glad do? that you said <laughs> that because you know people have expectations about their sleep. Uh-huh. You know, as we get older, we think, oh. I'm going to sleep exactly like I did when I was a teenager and I went to bed at one in the morning and I slept until noon the next day and I didn't wake up at all and I felt fabulous when I got up. Well, that changes as we get older. Our sleep becomes more disrupted. We tend to have less deep sleep, more light sleep. So we are more aware of any urine in our bladder that might wake us up to Uh go to the bathroom. And so... I set that expectation up for people. You know, it's it's not unusual to wake up once or twice during the night. What's what's worrisome is when people wake up and then they can't go back to sleep. Uh-huh. That's the annoying thing. Mm. If they wake up and then go right back to sleep, then it's yeah. not a big deal. I have a six-year-old, so I don't know what it's like to sleep through the night. It's like <laughs> Well, right. I mean, that kind of flies out the window once you have yeah, children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, no, really the last year he's he started sleeping really well. But even still, like he wakes up in the middle of the night and comes in the room mm-hmm. and is like telling me whatever it is that he needs. I'm like, whatever you need. It Peanut butter and jelly, morning. please. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Go to bed. Go to bed. <laughs> uh, so, so I think, you know, if you are a parent and you're in that phase where your kids are awake, it's, it's a different ball of wax, right? It's a whole different ball game because sleep is important, but it also sort of becomes secondary to whatever your kids need right? when they're really little, especially. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some, some parents actually sleep fairly well because they're sleep deprived. There's oh, nothing like sleep deprivation to improve <laughs> your sleep efficiency, <laughs> yeah. you know, because then your brain is like, oh, okay, we know what to do We've now. We've only got four hours. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, um, and our brain Cramming. is very smart that way, you know, when we're mm-hmm. sleep deprived, the first thing it's going to do is go into that restorative sleep to help, you know, uh, restore, you know, brain normal function and that kind of thing. And um, it's 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 really amazing mm. how our bodies work. It's, yeah. it's just amazing. It's it's complicated. And I'm always awe inspired by, Me too. you know, we're, and we're still learning so much. Oh, There's yeah. so much that we don't know. Yeah. The more we know, the more we don't know. Yes, it's I agree. Absolutely. hundred percent true. Well, Dee, did you have any other questions? No, I think this I got them great. all in. Yes. I feel like I've learned so much. Oh, good. And you've debunked some things. Yes. And you've helped us learn some new things. Mm-hmm. Did you have anything else that you wanted to say that it was like really important to you? Um, there's kind of four things that I wanted to share with people. And one is 
you know, I made this point earlier that use your bed for sleep and sex only. Yep. The second is don't go to bed until you're sleepy. Yep. Okay. And then if you get in bed and you can't go to sleep or you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep, get out of bed, stop trying to sleep. Sleep is sleep is the only thing that the harder we try, the worse we get at it. Okay. Sleep is like falling in love. You just have to let it happen. So if you're laying there with your eyes clenched, you know, tight, (laughs) I have to go to sleep. You're probably not going to go to sleep. So that's a really important concept. And then keep a fairly fixed wake time. That's Mm -hmm. really important. Like I said before, you know, um, especially on weekends, especially on a Sunday, because a lot of people, they'll they'll sleep in late on Sunday and then they have to go to work on Monday. Then they're, it's hard for them to, exactly, exactly. That's a great tip. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. Those are some fantastic tips. And we'll include those on the on the mm-hmm. show notes too. So people can print it off, post it in their in their bathroom next to their mirror and remind themselves, or maybe put it over the bed. Sleep and sex only. <laughs> <laughs> I like they it. Could frame it. <laughs> Look good. <laughs> so if people horrify wanna... the children. <laughs> <laughs> only if they can read. <laughs> Okay, so um, if people want to learn more about sleep, do you have any resources that you would recommend, places they can go find more information? Well, I think you have to be careful about what you read on the (laughs) Internet. Um, I think other than these things that we talk about today, I mean, I don't have a specific. um, There, Oh, there is an app, actually. It's called the CBTI Coach that has some information on it. CBTI Coach. mm -hmm, It's a free app. Um, It has some great lists that I like. It gives you lists of things that you can do if you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep. Oh. Or if you, it, you know, if, if your doctor has told you you need to stay up later, these are some things that you can do to keep yourself awake okay. a little bit longer. So that that's a great app. I did have one other question. Yes. So we all have, you know, smartwatches mm. or fitness trackers that have a sleep component yes. included in them. How effective, uh, accurate are they? We don't know exactly how accurate they are. They may give us some ballpark. What concerns me is when people judge their sleep based on what their Fitbit or their, their app, their wearable device Mm -hmm. says, they'll pull it out. They'll show me the app. Look how many times I woke up and look how much deep sleep I got and light sleep I got and REM sleep. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) Right. right. But then when I say, well, you know, what was your subjective experience? Oh, I fell asleep fine. I slept all night. I felt great in the morning. I'm like, okay, well, then you're good. Then don't worry about it because there's, you know, we can't do anything to change that what's called sleep architecture, the different Mm -hmm. stages of sleep. And I haven't found it to be very helpful for people to wear one, unless they're just interested in the information. But generally, for people with insomnia, it just gives them something else to obsess about. Oh, that's <laughs> like, a am great I going to get my twenty five percent? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and what if I don't? What consequences is that going to have for tomorrow? And yeah, it can definitely be a kind of Ooh, a vicious maybe cycle. I need to like chill uh, yeah. on that then. Oh, that's so <laughs> definitely me. You know what? That makes me think of too. Is I mentioned my, the new bed, right? So it yeah. gives you a score on your sleep, and um. <laughs> So I woke up and I was like, oh, I'm really tired. I feel like I didn't sleep very good. But then I looked at the score and it was a 91 and I was like, well, maybe I slept great. I slept great all night. I See feel how much great. that all can of a sudden influence I you. I felt really yes, good. Yes, that's really funny. <laughs> so maybe I need to figure out a way to rig it. So that every morning it says like 91 to 99 and then I'll believe that I had mm-hmm. a great night's sleep. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would man. just go by how you feel. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's much more accurate. Yeah. 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 There's nothing really to, um, to replace the individual experience. And I think you've said over and over something that's so important. And that is that sleep is very individual. Absolutely. And I think that that's freedom, especially for people who maybe, you know, think it's funny because with nutrition, it's the same thing. Like people Mm -hmm. constantly say like, I, oh, I eat so bad or, oh, my kids eat so bad. And then, um, when you dig a little deeper, really, they usually don't eat so bad. Sometimes, sometimes they do, but most of the time they don't, you know, they eat typically and there are some things they could improve, but mostly it's not a good or a bad. Mm -hmm. And I think taking away some of that expectation that you have to, you have to sleep eight to 10 hours a night, every night, you should sleep all night. You should sleep, you know, with well, especially up. that I'm so glad you brought that up yeah. about the number of hours yeah. that you sleep because I have a lot of patients ask me, well, how long should I be, be sleeping? Well, you know, the majority of people need seven to eight hours of sleep a night, but there's plenty of people who need more than that. Uh-huh. I have some people who need 10 or 11. I have other people who can get by quite nicely on six hours of sleep, but because they've been reading online <laughs> that they need to sleep eight hours a night, they'll spend eight hours in bed. Uh-huh. Well, what happens then? They're spending at least two hours during the night awake. Mm-hmm. If their sleep needs are six hours, but they're in the bed for eight hours, that's just a recipe for insomnia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you really have to just, I go, I go back to what I said at the beginning. Look at how you're feeling during the day. If mm-hmm. you're refreshed, if you're alert during the day, you're not falling asleep at a traffic light, then you're probably getting enough sleep at night. If, it's, if you're drowsy, you know, then you probably need more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Great tips. Great tips. Great information. And if people want to connect with you, how can they do that? Um, so I'm not super uh, tech savvy. <laughs> I do have an Instagram account, but embarrassingly, I don't even know what it is. So I will give it to you. I'll look it up, Sherry, and give it to you. Um, uh, okay, that sounds good. Yeah. But if people want to, if they're concerned about their sleep, they yes. should first start with their with their primary care physician. Yes? They can start with their primary care physician, although, um, you know, there are some that will just prescribe medicines right off the bat. Um, I think if you, especially if you're having a lot of distress about your sleep and your doc, your primary care doctor will let you, you may just want to go right ahead and see a sleep medicine physician. Okay. Um, there are, you know, some excellent ones in Atlanta and the surrounding areas. And, uh, you know, they're, they're trained to, first of all, rule out sleep disorders. Yeah. And then if there are none to address issues with insomnia. Okay. Great. Great. Great tips. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Lori. You're thank welcome. you for sharing thank you your for wisdom. Having me. I feel like I'm going to sleep better tonight. Okay. <laughs> All of our listeners are going to get a good, good night's sleep. You I can thank so. Lori for that. <laughs> and thank you girlfriends for listening to the show today. We love having you with us. We are so appreciative of you. If you have suggestions or feedback or questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can reach out to us um, by email at southernfriedgirlfriends at gmail.com or you know how to find us on Facebook and share this show with a friend. That is your, that's your homework aside from improving your sleep hygiene, share the show with a friend, share our show with a friend or write a, write a review. It really does make a difference. It helps people find us. And, um, as we grow our readership, we can provide more interesting topics for you. So thank you so much for, for doing that. And as we close the show, we always have one question that we end with, and that is what are you going to do today to be healthier? Dee, you go first. I am going to go outside. It is so pretty. It's cool. I'm just probably going to go to the trail and find a park bench and do some meditation. That's what I really need today. Yeah. Yeah. Rest your brain. (laughs) Rest your brain. What about you, Lori? I had actually planned on doing the exact same thing. (laughs) 
I mean, because the weather is just so delightful. Oh, and I have this little corner in my yard where I go sit. There's hummingbird feeders. Oh, and nice. I feel kind of nerdy. I'm a bird watcher. But I mean, I just get so excited <laughs> yeah, when those hummingbirds yeah. come, right? Um, and then I'm going to spend a little time with my sister. And oh. that, that's always good for my health. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna do some cooking today. Shocking. Mm. <laughs> but but I haven't really cooked that much this week. It's been kind of a weird week and I, we've gone out a couple of times. So I usually I cook a lot and this week I've just had a lot going on and I haven't had as much time to cook. So I'm excited to do that. I've had some baking that I've wanted to do. So I'm going to bake some bread and I'm going to do some, some cooking. But I think I'm going to open the windows when I do it because it's so beautiful outside and I, I am going to spend some time outside, but I also want to spend some time in my kitchen. Yeah, that's what I'm up to. (laughs) So whatever you're doing out there, girlfriends, you stay healthy, take care of yourselves, get some sleep, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.